It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday june 8th and you're listening to episode 419 uh once again uh, it's jason joined by my pal jason how's it going bud hey it's uh it's been a week man it's been a week it's been yeah yeah oh so it has been a week. There's a lot going on. Um, uh, so just want to start off, uh, just jump right into it uh, by uh, addressing some stuff uh, that we haven't addressed yet because I wanted to do it uh, on the show. Um, and that is everything going on right now uh, in our country um, with the protests um, and uh, and the, uh, you know, the... the the death of George Floyd, uh, m- the murder of George Floyd. I should be clear, um, but anyways, um, you know we uh, we are uh, right here uh, talking to you, a couple of couple of middle aged white guys in the Midwest. Um, but you know, I, I want to make it unequivocally clear that um, building the game one hundred percent supports um, you know everyone out there protesting. Uh, you know we. We believe um, that Black Lives Matter, and uh, and we support you, and um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know what to say other than everyone needs to educate themselves and really um, figure out how to support this. You know, I, um, I, I fall under the. Well, let me, uh, Jason. What do you want to say? Do you got anything you want to say specific about this? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like. We we get to say whatever we want because we're privileged white guys. So we say Correct. a lot. Um, so for me, this is a wake-up call, again, to be a better listener and to learn and uh, to, to help figure out what it means for me and my family to lend our voices to those who have been systematically oppressed and marginalized um and it's it's not a there's no magic wand for sure but uh, i think it right. starts with shutting up and listening and looking inward and um doing your own work to kind of figure out where your issues lie and where they came from and where they're wrong and looking around and saying how can i figure out how to serve my neighbors with where i'm at and what I have, and, um, you know, what are those steps to moving in that direction, I guess? I think, I think, because you're right, I don't know what to say. It's so big and so hard and so heartbreaking, um, and it calls for action. It just, it's enough mm-hmm. is enough, right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Um, that's all I, I, the, uh, go ahead. the big thing that keeps popping in my mind, you like you said, is to shut up, right? And... I, I've I've had to tell a few friends this, some other nice privileged white people who who were well intentioned. Um, but I've said, you know, um, if if you, you your job as a privileged white ally here, right, your job is to do one of two things. From my again, Midwestern white guy's opinion, right, your job is to, first of all, listen. Listen to what the needs are and support those needs. But support, right? Support in any way that you can use your privilege. If, if you can get to a rally and you are you, you know you, you can do that, do that, right? If you can't um, get to a protest, then, then support people on social media. Um, but if you can't do any of those things, just shut up. Just shut up. Um... You know, this isn't a time to say, well, I support this, but like, you know, you can't, you don't get to make qualifications uh, and and exceptions. We, we don't get to make those. I think, Um, and we're talking, we're talking to people like us right now, right? Like the white privileged, like, uh, group. Right, like that's who we're, we right. think should probably shut up. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying anyone. <laughs> okay, yeah. I said for the white allies is what I said. Okay, just yeah, I'm just yeah. making sure. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, we, as much as I, 
I attempt to learn and understand and empathize with everything going on, um, you know, for the black community. Uh, the truth is I can't fully do that. I'll never be able to fully do that because I'm not part of that community. I haven't been systematically marginalized and, you know, and oppressed for hundreds of years. That's not what's happened to me. Um, so, so I just need to listen and support. Um, and, you know, for all of you out there, um, you know, in that community who listen to the show, uh, I just want you to know that, that we support you 100%. Um, and, uh, if, if you are somebody not in that community or, or whatever, and in that offends you about our show, I want to be very clear that I don't give a shit. Um, if that makes you want to not listen to the show, then don't listen to the show. Um, because this is an important issue. Um, this is not political. This is life and death and this is important. Um, and we're taking a stand on it. Uh, and so if, if you're not comfortable with that deal with it um in whatever way you need to um but 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 i i especially speaking for myself i am not changing my stance on that uh and since i own the show uh the show is not changing their stance on that either um so but i know that my co-hosts also have my back here on this so <laughs> i'm not really worried about it um right you know i follow y'all on social media so i <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so you know, if if you're if you're a listener who's struggling with this and you want to talk to somebody about it, reach out. You know, hit me up on Twitter at J.A. Slingerland or email me uh, building the game podcast at gmail.com. I'm here. Right. Um, like I said, I clearly neither of us have the answers, uh, but but we want to be supportive. Um, I can say for myself that Jason, the other Jason, is real smart and real good at talking to people. But I like to think I am, oh. but I'm going to say that he is because, like, you know, he helps people when they're sad and stuff and when they're struggling and they don't know what to do. This is what that guy, I pointed at him uh, through the video phone. <laughs> that's helpful. Uh, Very helpful. That's helpful. That's what he does. So so please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you. Uh, and we will continue uh, to try and emphasize diverse voices on this show. Uh, I know it's something we we weren't always... Uh, great at but we've tried really hard to be doing that as much as possible um now so yes all right i don't think i have anything else to add for that do you jason no i think that's uh i mean it's a start so and i think we let people know what's important to us and what we think is important for this moment um yeah so yeah, uh, we'll continue to process, and when we become smarter and more brilliant and more empathetic and more understanding and more eloquent, maybe we'll have more to say. Right, and I think that you know it's it's just constantly having an attitude of wanting to learn and wanting to understand. Right, um, there's so much information out there right now, so much of it. Um, that it's, you know, it can be like a fire hose of just information, right? That you're trying to like catch up with and understand what's happening. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I just, I lean on the side of being supportive when I'm not sure what to do. Um, totally. but I, I, I've spent so much time reading as many things as I can, watching videos, just trying to understand, uh, everything right. going on because yeah. knowledge is power, right? It's important that we have knowledge around this subject. Yep. Some of the things that, just briefly, what we've done this week uh, as a family, we, we watched the movie, the, my my wife and I watched the movie 13th, um, about right. the 13th Amendment. I heard Netflix. about that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's really worth watching. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like history of uh, the prison industrial complex and how slavery morphed into the prison system, essentially. Right. Um, super powerful it was oscar nominated documentary just to just to help learn uh we're trying to support some uh black owned businesses in our community we're going to order some takeout a couple times this week from some black owned uh businesses uh and then in june i think later later this month june 20th in grand rapids there is a um there is a justice kind of black lives matter uh, family protest for parents and kids 12 and under that is promised to be uh, a totally peaceful protest for fun and education for kids. So our family's going to uh, get out there and participate in that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. 
yeah, and we, you know, I, so I live in Kalamazoo, you live in Grand Rapids, so we're about 45 minutes apart or so. Um, you know, Kalamazoo is not a big town. I mean, it's not a big city. It's a decent sized city, but it's not big, right? It's smaller than Grand Rapids. And I mean, even, even here, we, we were on curfew lockdown, um, in certain areas of the city, uh, over the protests. Um, and here too, I saw just ridiculous videos of, uh, protesters being approached by the police, the protesters laying on the ground, laying on the ground and then being tear gassed. Um, and it's just... Oh gosh, like it's just, I mean, and that's, that's like, that's the least bad stuff of it, right? I mean, like that's the least bad part and it still is terrible and unfathomable. Um, but I, I, I'm just trying to hope that things, things will change because of this. Like this, this is not going anywhere, right? Like we have hit a tipping point. This is not going anywhere. Right. Um, right. So all right, for real though, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try and uh, try and move forward um, here in the show. I will say, uh, you know, it does get personal though. Like I, I blocked from my Facebook seven people this week who I've known for a decade plus. Some of some two to three decades, um, and I just couldn't get through to them and couldn't handle the terrible things they were posting. So I made sure to report all of their posts that seemed reportable uh, and then block them. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right. And, um, and I'm just, I'm not going to give a platform to those voices and they like to comment on, on positive things that I say with negative things. Um, And uh, it's just not worthwhile. Right. You know, it's just not worthwhile to, give them a platform to speak on uh, on your page uh, when you're trying to make posts to make a difference or help others, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's totally uh, a good choice for your own mental health. Like, it's great to that have civil conversations. <laughs> yeah, um, to have, have civil conversations uh, with people um, and have, you know, dialogue that progresses and where you can understand each other and feel heard. But like, there's, there's other situations where you just need to say, I need to protect myself from this conversation. It's not good for anybody. Not good for me. I'm not changing anyone's mind. Um, so it's best to move on. Uh, yes. And, and that the dialogue is important. I mean, I, I certainly have had a few people who I'm close to, uh, who I've talked to through this and have done some enlightening about saying, you know, Hey, I know you're thinking about this this way, but but what if what if you thought about it this other way? And and they were responsive to that, right? And that is obviously <laughs> the exception, not the rule in the society we live in today. Uh, right. But it, it's it's fantastic when that does happen, and people um, and people you know can can grow and change. Because I, I mean, I can speak for myself. You know, if I look at myself from from 20 years ago, I've grown and changed so much. Um, in my social awareness and understanding and support of of people of color and the black community, I mean, I, I didn't. I grew up in a small town. I didn't know anything about anything, right? I grew up in a small town with pretty much all white people, and I'm sure that quite a few of them were probably racist, um, even if that went over my head as a kid, right? Um, right. But we learn and we grow, and that's there's no excuse to not learn and grow. There's just not. <sighs> Okay, Preach, for real brother. now. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about games for a bit. Let's try and cheer some people up, lighten the mood. Let's do that. Um, you this had is a, good for us, too. Right. You had an interesting um, topic. We we both kind of struggled um, a bit uh, to figure out what to talk about today because both of us were kind of in a mood. Um, you know, I, I felt like uh, there was an episode of The Daily Show where Jon Stewart came out after some horrific event had happened. I don't even remember what it was at this point. It may have been... I don't remember. It may have been a mass shooting or something. And he had just said, you know, I'm supposed to come out here and tell jokes and I don't know how to do my job today. Right. And, and sometimes when we go to record a documentary podcast, it feels the same way, right? Like we don't know. It's hard to come in and be like, all right, welcome to building the game. How's it going? (laughs) Right. Because we don't, we don't feel that way. Um, but you came up with a topic that I thought was really interesting and I, um, and I want to talk about it. So I'm going to let you intro it because you did a very good job explaining it to me. In words oh, that thanks. I understood that were very small. So, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I prefer small words. 
Um, so yeah, the idea was uh, I've been playing s- some games with my family recently that are kind of like these these like very classic uh, games. Uh, so we we played we taught my kids seven, eleven, and my wife the first game we fell in love with, um, and that was Settlers of Catan, uh, which yep. was the one that ignited my love for the hobby. Uh, we played it a couple Ditto. times. And then um, my daughter has been really into Uno. And, you oh, know, I, Uno. At, yeah, at first, I, at first I want to roll my eyes, right? I'm like, we were past that, you know? But then, like, we, we played it and we had a fine time, you know? I started thinking like a game designer for a minute and thinking about how, like, man, this is just boring and it's I don't have choices. It's, you know, it's just happening to me. But, um there, there are, there's a reason that people come back to that game. Maybe it's the simplicity. Maybe it's the social interaction and those little moments of a ha-ha, uh, draw four, or a reverse kind of a thing, you know, or catching somebody when they su- say uno. Right. Like, those create these special moments that, that people enjoy around a table. Um, and I would so, argue, for the record, with uno, that uno was a game like Monopoly, where when you play by the real rules, it's not that bad. Um, yeah. You know? You don't have to draw unlimited cards until you find a card of the right color. <laughs> you draw one, and then you end your turn if you didn't get what you wanted. Um, yeah. But a lot of people play the wrong way, right? And so that makes the game l- l- even less fun, right? Right, right. So so we played that. Lisa and I um, pulled out... Um, Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of what we what we played recently that was like a classic game that got us into gaming. Um we played Jaipur. Uh, we've played um, Agricola, the All Creatures, big and small. That was actually my first time, and it's a smaller version of Big Agricola. It's just a two-player game about the animal husbandry part of it. And um, man, I sure like that better than the Big Agricola game. But um, I think that, like, when I think back even further, I think back to like my favorite games, like like Ticket to Ride, and it was. What what connected me was like that it was rummy, for uh, for gamers, right? It had this you're collecting these sets, but you're doing mm-hmm. something else with them, um, and it and it added some end goals and some neat. It, it twisted this classic that I grew up playing with my mom on on its head, and and I'm just thinking back to like those early gaming experiences, and the question I had was like, what from those early experiences can we apply to like designing games today like what is the thing that connected us in those early games that that maybe we should be looking for in our in yeah. our game designs now right like uh or like do we not even think about that like when you're making a game you're like oh this works maybe this will be a fun one time experience or do we go saying what's going to make this feel like when do we know we have something that like is gonna stick around and is right, worth right. pursuing? Um, yeah, so that was kind of just like what what I was thinking about. Well, um, I think on that note of what's gonna stick around, what's worth pursuing. I mean, I, I speaking just for myself as a designer, like I always want to design a game where when someone's finished, they say, you know, hey, let's play this again, right? Like let's let's do this some more. Um, that's I that's just really important to me. Um, but but yeah, I get it. Like there are designers, I think, that are designing games to sell a big game, right? And that if people, it doesn't have to be evergreen, right? Somebody doesn't have to want to keep playing it hundreds of times. Um, but that said, you know, my, the first thought I think of is Settlers of Catan, right? Like that is that is a game that pulls has pulled thousands of people into the hobby, right? Thousands. Right. I mean, it is it's a gateway game. It is the gateway game. It is the game of a generation. TM, um, you know, <laughs> uh, but what is it about that game that is is so you know what is so replayable and so exciting? Like, yeah, what is it about that? So I think I think Settlers specifically, right, is it has these elements of the games we grew up with. Um, it has it has dice rolling and randomness, right? Uh, it it. In a, so, but it also, but it builds on that as well. So 
you, I'm thinking Monopoly, right? You roll the dice, you move, you can either buy a property or not, right? Um, this is like you roll the dice, and you may benefit from it based on these things that you've already made. Uh, and then there's the trading aspect that has a lot of social interact and, uh, interaction. You're, you're having these very clear goals. So I feel like it takes this, like, okay, we... As game designers, I think I see Settlers as, like, an improvement on the kind of games we played, like Monopoly growing up. Like the American Parker right. Brothers-style games, right? Right. Uh, it, gives us, it gives us something more, a bigger puzzle to figure out. It's shorter than Monopoly. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a neat puzzle. There's neat interaction. It feels like a step up. Not so much that you're overwhelmed. And it has those moments that people just like. Um, So I think that that's one of the things that makes it so successful. Because it's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not the artwork. The artwork's fine. Um, I mean, it's it's, boring. Especially by today's standards. Right, right. It can be a very frustrating game. uh, If you don't place your, uh, your settlements in the right places that happen to be the places where the dice get rolled, even though probability is a factor in there, but it's not perfect because it's random. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can feel like you just got hosed, which is not a great feeling. And I think that it seems like that's the kind of problem that modern game designs are trying to solve is like where in settlers, you, you roll the dice, you get excited when something happens, you can make some choices, you can feel clever when things are going your way, but when things are not going your way, it can feel very frustrating. Like, you don't realize when you're new at Settlers how important setup is and choosing your locations, right? Right, right. And the, the first order times that you, you choose play. your locations and, you know... Yes, yeah. totally, totally. Like, that, that beginning part is, like, most people are like, how do we play this? And they're overwhelmed by rules. They're not thinking, how can I make the best decision? They're going right. to get a maybe half hour into the game, into a typical game, before you figure out what's going on. Right, so, like, right. having the most important things in the game be the first things you do in the game is a little is a little rough. It, so, I feel like we... The other thing is it has the poker problem. Uh, and the poker problem is what I consider is that people can make bad decisions and because of the randomness still get incredibly lucky, right? When, when I'm playing poker and I have like, you know, a 1% chance of the right card coming up uh, and I go all in, even though I didn't have to, I make some stupid decision while the other person is sitting with an amazing hand. And then in that 1% chance, you get the hand, you made a bad decision and profited from it. Right. Um, right. You know, I saw that I played a game one time with some guy. Uh, it was a group of us playing and, and he purposely picked all the low numbers just be, to, to be stupid and to be annoying, right? Like, he picked all the bad numbers, like, because he thought it was funny. And then he <laughs> creamed us because those are the numbers that happen to come up on the dice consistently, right? right. And it was annoying because it was like he, um, he then, then, every time he played after that, he picked all the bad numbers. He lost every game after that that I played with him. I, I probably played five to ten games with him. But but because of those poor decisions on the first time that panned out, right? Because let's be honest, they were poor decisions, right? Like it wasn't a smart yeah. decision, um, right. but it panned out for him because yeah. So that that is a thing that's frustrating, and I do think that in modern game design, we we are trying to fix that problem a lot of times, right? Like yeah. that bad things can happen. Like Settlers is a very punishing game, right? You can have an amazing role and get a ton of stuff on like the on the first turn after it's been your turn, and by the time it get back to you, have fourteen cards in your hand, roll a seven, and lose half of them. Right? Um, yeah. Like, and that's devastating, and it's not your fault that it happened. Right? There's literally nothing you could have done to fix it because it wasn't your turn. Um, yeah. Th- that said, my single most favorite aspect of Settlers Catan is that I can get resources to benefit from the things you're doing, right? You roll the dice, you get a good number, it benefits me. I love that. Beautiful. But it also can be the hardest punishment. You're in on every turn. You have to pay attention to what is happening, which is another problem. The the low downtime of a lot of more, uh, you know, kind of classic games like the, that's that that can make a game boring so settlers did that really well you're engaged on every turn really well. you know the, constantly the, engaged. The, 
Yeah, the, the luck factor that you mentioned, though, is also, I think, a part of why the game is so widely loved. Because it's a f- it, that's what makes it a family game, right? That's what makes it so my seven-year-old beat us the other day. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, and my wife was so mad. Uh, she's I bet the she was. She's the competitive one. But, like... I was I was obviously helping the seven year old. It was her second play and helping her think through some things. She's sitting next to me, you know, but like she did it. She went after uh, longest road and largest army and built some settlements. And we we didn't play to the full ten points, but um, like she was getting it, you know. And I think she felt clever when she started to put the pieces together. Right. And the luck made it so we didn't just pummel her. Right, um, right. Yes, if it was purely strategy, you would have won. But you put in some decent strategy with really good luck, and you can win. Yeah, totally. And that's totally. okay. So I, so I feel like that's the, the, the thing for me that I think about is like, um, I think that average game players are maybe, the, this is just my, my guess and my assumption, right? They're looking for a pastime that will engage their brain and give them an experience more than they are, like, looking to be, like, the smartest person at the table, which a lot of hobby games lean towards that, I think. Lean towards, like... That's true, you, yeah. You, um, so, so a game like Settlers has such wide appeal because you feel smart, you feel clever, but there's random that balances it and gives the new person as much of a right. chance as the expert player. I'm sure that the, the championship tournament players are going to do better than the newbies. You know, right. there, there are things you can learn and, and it's a, it's a, there's enough strategy there to really dig in if you want to. But I think that th- those moments that you get from like rolling the dice and having a big windfall and then, um, feeling clever by putting together a puzzle are some of the things, uh, that that work for for settlers for sure um that right. that we can that i think that make it have that classic appeal um and i think similarly that's what mm-hmm. that's what uno does you know when i look at uno it's the experience thing it's not that i can whether or not i can match a number or i can match a color it's like it's whether or not like something funny happens when i play a certain card yeah, but Uno is also a, is a very strategic game if you're willing to pay attention, right? Um, sure. If you watch, you know, you're talking about can I match a color or number? If you're watching other players, right? Like when I see the person to the left of me draw because it's yellow and then it gets changed, like, you know, back, they draw a card and, oh, now they've changed it to another color. Well, guess what? Now I don't have yellow. So when I've got a green six and a yellow six and there's a six, if I've got a, a green, it's green and it comes to me and I've got a yellow six and it's a green six, I'm going to change that probably instead of playing because that's going to make them draw again, which is the goal, right? So, um, I mean, I do think Uno can be a very strategic game. Um, yep, yep. So th- so that's so that's a, a w- I think what you just pointed out is really important, right? Like when my kids play it, they don't think on that level at all. Of course they're not. Like, which is I'm why I'm going to drop a card. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so so we're like so so all experience levels can get what they want to out of the game. They can pay attention uh on a deeper level where they're looking at what other people are drawing or when they're drawing and what they're playing uh and play on that deeper level or they can just casually like throw down their cards you know um so so it it allows for a wide breadth of experience to enjoy and come together around the same game and Mm -hmm. the other thing that uno specifically i think has it going is the um so yeah i think it has the moments those are big too the moments like for sure and then there is that strategy level so there's a wide range of that gets people into games gets people into the game at the level they want to experience it um, and then it's like that I can teach you to play in less than a minute right 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 yeah I think people I think people like that uh, especially like the trade-off there right like if you can teach me this game in a minute and it's gonna provide some satisfying moments. Um, that I'm in, you know, and they, and they want to play it again. Um, another simple one that came to mind that, that, that I forgot to mention earlier that I was playing, um, was I grew up with, uh, my babysitter's uncle 
made me this handmade thing called penny hockey. Um, and it was essentially a piece of like uh, countertop with a picture frame around the outsides to provide barriers to mm-hmm. like quarter sized holes drilled through at each end as goals and nails hammered as like posts. And you use a penny to flick the penny, taking turns back and forth, trying to score goals. So it's like you're caroming this penny off these boards and everything. Yep. Yep. And, and this was like a gift that the babysitter brought over and gave to us when I was a kid. And I loved it. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so I was actually just scrolling Instagram a couple weeks ago. And there's this manufacturing company that was promoting, like, we make games. And we make this one specifically. I think they're called, like, American Gear Company. And they had a soccer one. And it looked almost exactly like this handmade game that my nice. my babysitter's uncle had made for me. So I, like, I ordered it. And of course. Kid, I, of course, it was only like 27 bucks or something. It's a wooden game and pretty decent quality for the price. And I'm, I'm teaching it to my kids and like this nostalgia just like floods me. Right. Like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it, it points me back to this beautiful, simple time in my life. And my kids are enjoying I can see on their faces. They're having as much fun as I did when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and it's and it's random, too. It feels like. um you can have as much skill as like a very skilled crokinole player by like planning your shots, or you can be like the wild like foosball like spinner, you right, know. Right. And still, and just like I'm gonna just flick this thing and it's gonna bounce around and I might get lucky. Um, so like the nostalgia factor, the simplicity, like it didn't even come with a rule book. The, the, it just came with the board, and I'm like, so here's what we're gonna do. And then Cora's like, all right, well, if we get it in this circle on the board. We get to take another shot, you know. So like, we're able to like be creative. Right. Yep, yep. In the process, um, and that's just like the kind of classic play that feels feels good to me. And it, it and these are the kind of things that like when you start to notice them, you think, oh, like I mean, that's what kind of made me want to make games when I start to notice. Like, hey, these cool things are happening. Like, how could I create a cool thing to happen with a game um, for mm-hmm. people? So, so I don't know. I think that that's that. Those are some of the some of the things that like stand out to me about those games that brought me to games, like in a way that made me feel like deep love for them. Like um, the simplicity, the moments, the satisfaction of like pulling something off. Um, the I, luck that made me feel like I wasn't going to get stomped all the time and like that replayability, right? Like I want to play again. Cause I think I can get better at this. Like, I think if mm-hmm. we just try again, like I'll be better next time. Well, and I think that <laughs> what you've described is, is a lot of the green couch games, right? I mean, that's <laughs> totally. The thing. I mean, like, you know, what you're describing are games that are pretty easy to learn, uh, games that are fast and replayable. I mean, that's not every game that you've produced, but it's a lot of them, right? Right, Um, right. And so, I mean, I guess it just kind of shows um, where you've gone, right? Like where you've come from and and where you're going. So, I I don't know. I think that's that's really interesting to me. Yeah. What about you? Like, I was going to say, when you look back at, like, your your early experiences, like, what did you take away? Like, what games did you just feel like, oh, this is the feeling I want in my games? You know, have you have you come across anything like that? Yeah, you know, um, there were a couple. Like, growing up, um, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't play as many games as I should have. It's just my family wasn't really into uh, a lot of board games, right? Um, I, I learned a lot of classic card games and that really carried over into my design of being someone who primarily just designs card games and wanting games that are feel classic. Right. You know, and I mean, I don't know if you've heard, but into the black forest is a new classic card game. Um, it's what it says on the box. Uh, but anyways, I'm not tooting my own horn cause you wrote <laughs> it on there, not me. But no, so I, <laughs> I think that, I think that that's those feelings of those original games are something that really stuck with me. Um, and two other experiences I think that I can speak to around that uh, are so that was that was a lot of good feelings. I grew up with my mom playing a lot of these games, 
So I had a lot of positive feelings around those games. Uh, games like Hand and Foot, Euchre, sometimes Pinochle, um, you know, that sort of thing. Those games really, really stuck with me. Probably the most being Hand and Foot. Uh, that is a really, really good classic card game. Uh, and I just loved, loved, loved. But the uh, other thing, the other thing was the couple games I can remember we played. We used to play Upwards. Remember Upwards? Oh yeah, it's like Scrabble, but you're building on top. Yeah, of each so other, Scrabble, right? but everything, every tile is worth one point, but you can stack the tiles. And when you stack the tiles, then they're worth the number of points in the stack. Um, and what I loved about that game was that it made you feel very clever, right? Um, and that was something that stuck with me in design is that I'm always trying to design games where I feel like you can feel really clever that you've done something like, oh, wow, look at this. You know, like, oh, look what I pulled off. No one thought I could do it, but boom, I did it. And then you, everybody's like, oh, wow, that was cool. And that was the first game where I remember really feeling that way because every move you did was out in the open. Right. Um, and so I, I really liked that about that game. But when it comes to like games where I thought I want to design like this, that 100% always comes back to Lawless by Bruno Cathala. Um, mm. When I first played that the very first time and I was like, I want to make games like this. This game is fun. And, and you know what? When I think about it, it's, it's not a perfect game. It's got its problems, but it has um, it's, it's a little more complex. Like I can't teach you super fast, but it's not too complex, right? Um, because that was one of the first real games, I say real games, right? hobby games that I played, right? Um, yeah. And that game, when I figured it out, it's got, it's got that randomness. It's got those aha moments, right? Uh, both for good and for bad. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's got, you're building something, which I love. It's got this clever use of cards that I've always tried to use in a game, and it's never lasted in any game I've ever made. Um, which is uh, to track, you have these cows, right? And you put them down and to track how the cows um, get uh, worth more points, you rotate them. You basically tap them, right? So I tap it to the right and then the next turn I tap it upside down, like meaning like so it's not, so it's rotating, not so it's flipped over, right? And then I tap it to rotate it again and then finally it comes <laughs> back right side up and now it's worth the full amount but i could have cashed it at any point and it was worth less uh it, but what was great about that was it taught me how to track something on a card only using the card which i've still i've always thought was brilliant right because yeah. it, instead of needing a bunch of components i mean that could have been 50 chips that i needed to track that and instead you just do it on the cards it was brilliant um, yeah. So, so that design was the first one where really it's. I was like, this makes me want to design like this, um, you know. But but I do think those the classic card games growing up were were, were really the biggest influence on me. Um, with, you know, uh, unconsciously, right? Not realizing that, like as I work on design now, I realize that you know, yes, I'm driven by a lot of these experiences I had playing with my mom and her friends, basically. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that when you mentioned the uh, the innovative use of components, like of like, oh wow, there's so much stuff you can do with a card. Like when when that when that went off for me, um, I think it was like, I think it was Balloon Cup. Um, I don't know. Have you ever played Balloon Cup or Pinata? Was the newer version of it? I haven't. No. Uh, yeah, it's it's very cool. It's a two player game. Stephen Glenn. It was it was one of the Cosmos two player games in the little square boxes, um, and it gave me this feeling of like, okay, this is just cards and some cubes, and it feels so much bigger than that. Um, or like just thinking about like when I first played Dominion, and it was like. Um, the, the, the deck building thing where you're picking up cards and that's right. like building your deck is the goal. And that felt, and right. I, I wasn't a magic player, you know? So like, I mean, I played a little bit, not in a way that I met, I remembered it, but like building a deck as you go. And that was how you got points. I was like, Oh my gosh, like 
I feel like the possibilities are endless with like what you can right. do yep. with this piece of paper, you know? Um, and and just they really like, are like, that is, that is the truth, you know, not yeah. endless, endless, but we're still seeing people use cards in new ways. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I'll like Rob who used to be on the show, like he used cards for one of his games to take the cards and turn them into 3d teacups. Like, right. Like printed them as a normal card with like hashed lines on them, and then the player would just cut them and turn them into teacups. Like that to me is amazing. Like you made a three D component that now fits in a flat box, right? Yep. Um, yep. And I, that's crazy. I remember playing uh, Tag Meyer's Maximum Throwdown, where we're like literally yep. throwing cards at each other, and I was like, "This is it, man!" Like it just be just we're just having fun, and like those things just. Um, I don't know, like the, those little light bulbs going off that like are so connected to those early experiences of like, I Absolutely. wanted to just learn new games as a kid, you know, or um, get better at this little thing. And then like, so, so there's just like this, this symbol of like a deck of cards and the possibility mm-hmm. that's there um, is, I think that drives me, you know, as a designer. Um, I mean, very infrequent designer at the moment, but like, that's why I always start with, right. I always end up with a deck of cards to start a game, you know? So, and usually I do as well. Yeah. Most of my (laughs) games start with a deck of cards for sure. (sighs) Yeah. Do you you uh, say about that topic? I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I don't know. I I hope it's helpful to just kind of like go back and look at that, those historical touch points in your, in your gaming life. Yeah, I mean, just I would really encourage like, the builders to do that, right? The, yeah, the yeah. Designing. Just to consider, like, what makes me feel like this thing that made me love games, right? Like, where right. do I find that thing in this game? Because, like, you know, I, I've had kids come up to me at conventions, and not to toot my own horn, but you already did it once, so I can. But they come up to me and they say things like, Best Treehouse Ever is my favorite game ever. I love it so much. Right. I don't see the draw, but... (laughs) I'm kidding. I love that game. It's one of my favorites Um, you've done. But just, like, to think that, like... I don't know how many games that kid has played. You know? But, like... Just that one of Monopoly. Just that's it. That's it. But, like, (laughs) when when my games give people a... Like, you can tell that there was an experience and a feeling that they had from that game that we made. You know? Yep. Um, so like, that's, that's kind of the thing I look for. I think right Right. away is like, I want, it's almost an emotional thing, emotional connection. That's probably why it took me a minute to like sign your game because I didn't care about bridges. Like your end of the black forest was like this bridge concept, but like, I felt like I really enjoyed the cleverness of, uh, of the, of the card play in it. But I was like, but, like, it needs another thing. And then when we settled on, like, this fantasy, you know, like, the forest, uh, it just brought it to life in this, like, way that it all felt like a complete package, you know? It was, like, right. an, emotional, an emotional response. Like, yes, this is ready. The same thing when I played Josh Mills' Rocky Road a la Mode. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, we are delivering ice cream. I feel it in the gameplay. It's yep. clever. It uses cards in special ways. The art's going to be amazing. Like, it was just this, yeah, like... Yeah. I feel like I'm a kid again and, um, you know, like listening for the music to go run out to the street and give my two bucks for a rocket pop or whatever. Yep. Yeah, I know for sure. I totally agree with that. No, I, it is nice though. When you hear those comments, I mean, I still have people message me or say to me, like after all these years, like, Oh man, water balloon washout. That game is really fun. Like I, my family, we play it. We still play it all the time. And like, that feels really good to hear that. I just last week I had somebody say, Hey, whatever did you ever do with that game? And I said, oh, we still have some copies, but it's mostly sold out at this point. And um, and they were like, we love that game. We still play it. I wish you had a digital version of it. And I was like, well, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But thanks. Like, that makes me re- feel real good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of a game? Like, we play a lot of games because we're in this, this industry, you know, like, and not all of, like... I feel like sometimes there's this race to play as many as you can, you know? Like, you got to mm-hmm. explore everything. 
right. but like can you think of one that that like gave you that kind of feeling you know that was like oh yeah like recent one a recent one that was like this one feels like what it's all about yeah um the most recent game that i played where i was just like whoa was Japur. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Because I didn't, I'd heard the name, but I didn't know it existed for a for a very long time. But another one that stuck out to me um, recently that I played with you actually was was Corinth. Um, Oh yeah, you pulled that game out, and I was like, I don't know about this game. And then like I bought it right after I played it with you because it was so good. Um, So so yeah, it's you know that was. I think what I like so much about Corinth was it was a game that used things in a different way, right? And it did it really, really well. Um, yeah. And I loved that about that game. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Anything that's good. for you? That's good. Um, I'm just thinking about, like, we play, like, uh, played Bloom, um, which is a game right game. And it's this like flower game, and it has a little bit of a yeah. Quix feel in it. So Quix was one of those for me for sure. Like uh, so simple, uh, you roll the dice, everybody gets to do something with one of them, but you get an extra one on your turn. I was just like, oh my gosh, this game, this game is so good. Right, and right. there's more and more games that are doing that kind of and right kind of thing. And yep. um, Bloom had that, but it had this spatial element to it. And uh, it had these little flowers on your sheet, and you're having to circle the flowers and put together patches and stuff. Um, yeah, like, I don't know if it was the quicks feeling that was, like, bleeding over into Bloom. Like, maybe Bloom is just, like, you know, feel felt like a rehash of quicks with a new little layer on it. And I'm still hanging on to that quicks like, right. high that I love so right. much. But, like, yeah, that's that's definitely one that, like, I feel like I'm chasing those feelings when I'm chasing when I look for new games. Um, That's fair. That's totally fair. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Yeah, I'm still trying to find. Like, I I loved Ink and Gold initially, which like oh, uh, Fiduti and and Alan Moon, a great game. Uh, and and for a long time I was like, there's there's nothing. Um, there's no pressure luck game that's gonna be as fun as that one. And then we end up right. playing Celestia, like in the last like year or so. And I'm like, oh, this is this is it. Like this is the this is the one that like I feel like is as good as something like Ink and Gold, and like um, and everything in between kind of like starts to like um, be dwarfed in comparison to those things right. that give you these big feelings, you know. I think that so I is think- very very true. And I think that that's important as the market gets more and more diluted and there's more and more game designers, like, make games and go for it, but, like, just keep looking for that thing that's going to make people say, oh, yeah, this is the game I'm going to choose to play rather than this game. Uh, Yeah, because I think those moments are, like, embed themselves in us, you know, that that make us come back to them. So, yeah, I guess that's all I've got to say about that topic. (laughs) So we're not going to pitch a game today, builders, but I do encourage you to um, to get out there and um, you know think about this, right? Like reflect back on games as you're designing and uh, and try and steal some mechanics and, and see how you can do that to give yourself the feelings that you want to have. Um, so before we do the end of the show here, uh, I want to uh, talk about a game that I designed. If that's all right, uh, yeah, do quick. it, man. Not pitching it, but I want to talk about it. Uh, so it's called Castle Quest. A Snapwords game. Uh, and I see that it has just been released on the publisher's website, uh, Child First Publications. Um, they are a company out of... Uh, they are a company out of uh, Grand Rapids, actually. Uh, oh. They hired me to design a board game for them. Uh, and I did so. And uh, now that game is is available. It is a game about uh, journeying to a castle um, with your friends. And it's a cooperative game. Uh, played individually until kind of the end where you cooperate to help anyone who's fallen behind. But it is a game about uh, using sight words cards as an engine uh, to, to propel you around this board. And uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's a lot of fun. This, this, game has a, <laughs> this game has a wooden board. A wooden board, right? What? 
that is uh, four four large puzzle pieces. It makes turns into a big board, right? Um, and uh, you you put it together and then use the sight words cards to uh, you on your turn. Basically, you you um, read a sight words card, and then if you get it correct, you can roll the dice and you can move forward. Uh, and then there are these special squares, like five different kinds of special squares you can land on, which will give you challenges to do things um, and then give you benefits to do it. And uh, the goal, again, is to get to the castle. You do this huge journey and there's lots of different pathways. And when you finally get there to the castle, if your friends are behind, you still get to take turns. Uh, but then you give them the dice, right? So like, hey, I said this sight word. I'm going to give Jason Katarski the dice because Lord knows he's way behind the rest of us because uh, he's not that good at reading. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to give him the dice so he can catch up. So, uh, but anyway, so I'm excited. I mentioned last week that I might be able to um, talk about it a little bit. And I could because I noticed it was out. So I'm talking about it. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. Good time. So I'm pretty excited about that. That one's been in the works for quite a while. Got slowed down a bit by the whole pandemic thing and uh, some printing and stuff. But ta-da. Yeah. So that's exciting. I uh, Yeah. I need to. So that uh, so this Snapwords is like an existing educational tool. Yep, it is, and it's um, it's real good. Like I, um, I when they hired me, you know, I didn't know anything about them, um, but they the first day, you know, I, I went up, I talked to them, and they gave me this huge box full of every uh, sight words card product they made. <laughs> they said, wow. "Here you go." Um, which I'm sure was like, because they sell to schools primarily. I'm sure that was a pretty good deal for me. Um, but, uh, so I took it home and I started, you know, messing around with it with my kids and I was like, oh my gosh, like the kids are like, this is working with my daughter because one side has the word with a picture drawn into it to help you know what the word is. And then the other side is just the word. And then there's also a motion it describes that you can do with the word. Um, then all of those things are correlated into the actual game um, that you can use. So, awesome. um, yeah, but I got to actually play test it at my son's school last year, which was really exciting. Oh, that's um, fantastic. And then the company was kind enough to give me copies to give to that school as a thank you. So I'm pretty excited about being able to deliver those this fall once school is theoretically back in session. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, it was all pretty cool stuff. Congrats. So, I mean, have you talked much about like what that experience was like, like um, how different that was from your normal like design process? Yeah. So it was in certain ways, it was way easier than my normal design process. In other ways, it was way harder. Right. Like the way easier was, you know, we sat down and I said, what are you looking for? And they said, well, we want we want to come up with a game that does this, this and this. And I Sitting there, the first time I met them, after 10 minutes of chatting, pitched them a game that ended up being almost the game. Like Wow. Um, and it was because they didn't need, I mean, to be fair, right? They didn't need anything super complex, right? And basically, yeah. you know, we play tested it the first time and they said, this isn't complex enough. And I said, okay, you know, let's make it more complex then. Um, I said, but we don't want to make it too complex. And they, they said, well, let's try this, this, and this. And, and my gut said, this is probably going to be a little too complex, but let's try it, right? And they've hired me. So we tried it. Um, and they said, this is a little too complex. <laughs> I said, yep, I, I <laughs> thought that could be the case, but, but it's worth trying, right? Um, because if I had said, for instance, no, that's too complex, and then we had tried it at a lower level, uh, and it kind of worked there, but it could have been one more level of complexity, we would have never known that, right? So it was better to go with the higher level of complexity and see what happens. And what happened was, for adults, it was much more interesting, but for kids, it was a little too much, right? So we kind of peeled it back, um, and we found this happy medium in the middle. And, um, you know, so it was it was really great. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting was I, I spent, like, a lot of time trying to design a board for them. Like, how would this board work? And, like, I'm a terrible graphic designer, and so I was struggling. And, like, and finally I was like, wait, you guys have in-house graphic design. What am I doing? Like, here's the specs make this board and then like two days later this guy came back with this beautiful board and was like well this is what i made and i was like oh my gosh why was i trying to do this <laughs> um and so that part was great it was it was just learning a different process uh, they're a fantastic company i would love 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 to work with them again sometime um because you know it was and it was also cool because they actually leaned on me for some additional consulting about it because they'd never published a board game before Oh, um, so I helped source some components for them. Um, we ordered some components um, to get them 
uh, very some specific things. You know, I, I showed them a bunch of options and gave them some opinions, and then they would choose what they wanted. And then, like, we even went through like picking the specific colors of the um, the specific colors of the pawns and the dice, and you know, for for colorblind things and like that. So it was it was a fantastic experience. Um, I'm excited to finally be able to talk about it even a little bit. So yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the website right now. I see it. It's very cute. Yeah, and the, um, the 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 cover is great, but it does not do justice to what the board looks like when you bring it out, and it's these huge wood pieces, right? Because it's just right. Like, um, you know, the artwork is a lot the same on the inside. It's just when you lay that big board out, um, it's it's impressive. You know, like it's real impressive. And I was uh, that was their idea to do the printer. Actually, I, I met with them with the printer because the printer was from Grand Rapids, and they said, okay. well. They said, we worked with this other board game with this guy, and we actually did it on you know, MDF for him. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? And they said, we can print right on top of it. Um, and so they showed us a sample, and I was like, you know, what do you think? And they were really excited about because this is for classrooms, right? So they want it to be durable. Now, you can go to their website and buy it, and you don't have to like have yeah. it for a classroom, right? But, right. Um, but they did want it to be very durable for classrooms. And I, I love that because... You know, and the other thing was like the rules are printed on the back of the game. Um, ah. So the only thing in there, when you open the game, there's this box where you put the cards in. Um, and then there's the board, this huge, beautiful board. And then there's the pawns and the dice. And if you were to lose the pawns and the dice, it doesn't matter because let's face it, you're in a classroom, right? You can get a six sided die and some pawns, right? Right. Um, yep. And the rules are printed on the back of the box because they they were never wanted, um, you know, a classroom to have to go without like losing it and then not having the rules. Right. Um, so I thought that was a really cool idea to print it all right there on the box and stuff. And so, yeah. Well, awesome. Congrats on that. It's neat to uh, know someone that's like branching out into a different kind of market because it is it is a highly different market making right. an educational right. game for a classroom uh, than it is for the hobby market. And so, so one of the most interesting facets of that was was like how the payment and stuff worked because basically they said we need this game. What would you charge to design it? So I gave them a rate. They paid me half up front and they paid me the other half when when it was done. And they own the game free and clear. I have no rights to it or anything like that. Um, so I'll never get paid royalties or anything on it. Like it was just a they hired me as a consultant to make this for them. And then I was done. Um, and they yeah. could hire me to make another game if they wanted, uh, but they would then own that game, right? So um, it was very clean, <laughs> right? It was like yeah, we, yeah. so many, so much of the work we do as game designers, even those people like you know the Brunos of the world, right? They're still doing all that on spec. Now their spec is a lot more likely to get purchased than our spec, but it's right. still on spec. There's still no for sure that it's going to happen. Um, so, so that was a pretty great thing to know that I was getting paid, right, for the work I was doing, no matter what. Yep, it wasn't a, it wasn't there wasn't a risk at that point. That's cool, right? And right. and your name is on the back of the box, man. I did not expect that. It is, it is, yeah, yeah. They didn't put it on the cover because you know, I mean, it's it's not that type of thing. But I was yep. pleasantly pleasantly surprised to see it on the back of the box. That was a very nice gesture of them. They didn't have to do that, uh, right. but they did. It's it's funny too because if you look at the rules format on the back. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very familiar, right? It's 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 based on my rules format, how I write rules, yeah. because I wrote the rules for it, and then they, of course, tweaked it and you know did some blind testing and stuff, having people read through it. But they stuck mostly with my format, which I thought was kind of neat. It was weird to see that on the back of a box, because every other publisher I've worked with has completely changed my format to their format, right? Right, right. Um, but they didn't have a format, so it was it was kind of cool. Well, that's great. I hope it does well for them, and they call you up and say, make some more for us. That would be great. I would love that, because again, they were really fun people to work with. It's a small company, like four people, um, oh, and we would we would all meet every time. You know, Every person in the company was there to meet, because they wanted oh, wow. everyone to have some input and to play test it, and so it was, it was fun. Awesome. All right. Looks like the re- retail's 70 bucks, but it doesn't include the snap cards. So like it's a it's an investment. It makes sense that it's for like serious like homeschool education people or classrooms. Right, right. Um, and, the, in, and you're getting that quality the quality components right, go right. a long way. And locally made too is gonna, right. gonna yep. make Yeah, that. it's all printed in Grand Rapids. Um but yeah, so wow. the, I think a lot of their target market is you know, they have 
probably hundreds and hundreds, if not if not thousands of classrooms around the country yeah. that have their cards. So that's the built-in market, right? Is they, and let's be honest, I mean, when it comes to cards like that, right, for like the full sets, those are going to be more expensive because they're high quality and they're learning tools, right? Um, so the ability to be able to just throw on a $70 game that you can trade through your classrooms and... And the reason, actually, the biggest reason why they didn't want to put a specific deck of cards with it was because they have like eight or ten different decks of cards, if not more, based on different levels and different things you want to learn. And ah. they wanted it to be able to swap through that, right? That makes sense. Um, yeah, totally. So, because it, it was a little weird to me at first, too. I was like, well, wait, you should do a special deck just for that. And they were like, well, no, no, these these cards are made specifically in a certain way to help kids learn you know, when I'm not an expert on that, right? I'm an expert. Right, right, right. I'm not an expert on game design. You know, compared to them, I was because they they've never designed a game. But um, so, all right. Well, hey, uh, this show has went really long, so I'm gonna do the ending stuff here. It's gonna be that's great. cool. That's so, a good time. Um, yeah, it was a good time. All right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go to buildinggamepodcast.com. Email us buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Call us at seven seven zero tell BTG. Find us on Twitter at PodcastBTG, at Jason at Jason Katarski. And you can also uh, give us reviews on all of the podcasting places. And until next week, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>